0: Welcome to Epic Men Radio, Rattling the Cages and Reigniting the Fire. I'm Tom Twilligren. Thanks for joining us. If you listen to part one of our interview with Dan punk Caldwell, the creator of the Tap Out apparel brand, we talked a lot about mindset, his mindset, the mindset of entrepreneurs. We talked about insecurities, and we talked about humble beginnings. Well, in part two, we dig much deeper into Dan's partnership with Charles Lewis, a.k.a. Mask and Charles's untimely death, as well as the company's unorthodox tactics, strategies, and antics to gain notoriety and rapid growth. I also get Dan to reveal something about himself that very few people know. That's all on this episode of Epic Men Radio. Rattling the cage
1: and reigniting the fire, you're listening to Epic Men Radio.
0: Let's shift gears from mindset to strategy a little bit. In terms yeah. of let's talk about let's talk about um, Tapout specifically. You started Tapout some ten odd years ago, but not on your own. You had a partner. You started with a partner. Let's talk about how that emerged, how that began, that partnership, and the initial growth of Tapout along the way, and 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 where that vision came from, man. Because I mean, you guys did something strategically i'm sure you did several things strategically but one i can name and recognize immediately uh and then and, and, and as i referred to at the beginning you sort of and and i hope this doesn't come across as as belittling at all but hitched your wagon to a growing empire and as a result created an empire in the process so let's talk about tap out that partnership and the initial growth well we so we were both police officers at the time and i thought See, i didn't know what, that i had no yeah. idea
1: yeah, we were cops for several years, and, right. and um, we both, I kind of talked him into being a police officer, and we were good friends, being my partner, and we saw this 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 ultimate fighting championship in 1993, and we saw that first UFC, and we saw this guy, Horace Gracie, just take mm-hmm. on like four dudes and just destroy him, and they were all like twice as big as he was, and we said, we need to learn how to do that, especially me, because I'm like half his size, and and you know i'm not the biggest dude in the world and i'm i, would, I was coming up and i'm a pretty aggressive officer i was out there getting into a lot of stuff and mm. i was in some you know shootings and different things and and so i was always busy i was staying real busy i was in a real active area of the city and we had we were like the highest parolee rate in the county and wow. we were having a lot of problems so i was I, I thought man i need to learn how to do this because up until then you just, even if you watch officers today y'all watch videos and go it's incredible that these these officers aren't training to learn how to really mm-hmm. subdue suspects because they they're fighting these suspects. when I think, you know, if these guys knew jujitsu, this, this would be a 30 second fight. And, and, and the guy would be subdued. It would be over and he wouldn't be hurt and it would be in custody and it would be over. Mm. Instead, it's two guys trying to get this guy down. They can't figure out how to get him under control. Next thing you know, he's standing up and he's running down the street. And now they're chasing him. So it's just ridiculous that now I mean every officer should be trained in jujitsu. Agreed. And mixed martial arts too for that matter. Mm -hmm. But so we saw it and we said we need to learn how to do that. So a week later we were training with Hoyce Gracie down in Torrance, California. And right
0: to the source, huh?
1: Yeah, you're like, ah. hey, you got to find the best. And that's mm-hmm. another lesson in itself. But yeah, anytime you want to work with people, you got to find the best. You always just find the best if they're available to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, sometimes they're not available to you, but then you find the next best. But you mm-hmm. always need to work with the best. You want to work, you want to be the best, you need to work with the best. I agree. And uh, so we, see, we, we sought out Hoist Gracie and a week later we were training with him. Um, and I, we, I, we went in there year after year and I remember seeing these guys sell tons of hoist or Gracie t-shirts. Mm. They would sell, they just had a circle and a triangle in the middle and two stick figures. And it just said Gracie Jitsu. And I thought how simple that shirt is. Mm. And me and Charles would talk about it. And it, one day we said we wanted to create this t-shirt company. And, uh, well, he came to me and said, hey, I, what do you think about starting a t-shirt company? <laughs> I thought that's a, you know, that's a, that's a cool idea because we started talking and we were talking about how, how you could wear a Gracie shirt at the Gracie place, but now the Machados are popping up and the Lion's Den and the Shark Tank and you have all these different places popping up. Well, you could only wear their shirt at their gym and, mm. and the Lion's Den at the Lion's Den and the, you know, Machado shirt at the Machado gym. So you had to be wherever you were to wear that shirt. Well, no one would, had created the Nike of that sport yet, right. and we thought, what if we created a shirt that anybody could wear at any gym? It didn't matter where you were at. Hmm. And so that's where the idea for Tapout came. And uh, wow. Tapout was my partner's license plate, Charles's license plate, and and we thought where we started brainstorming about that every time we would drive down to Torrance because it was about an hour and a half uh drive for us we would always get it was every single time people would stick their heads out i mean you know ufc was still fairly new at the time yeah. this is 1996 well this is 93 94 95 96 that we're talking about that we would drive down to torrance and every time we were driving down there people would yell out the window tap out ufc you know and it was like they were always equating tap out to ufc wow. They knew exactly what it meant. They made the connection themselves. Mm-hmm. So we thought, what if we did that? What if we made this shirt and it was called Tap Out, and we created that connection? You know, it's mm-hmm. the one word that doesn't mean anything else other than mixed martial arts or or UFC or jujitsu. So that's where the idea for Tap Out came in. Honestly, most people didn't like the name. They hated the name when we first came up with it. Um, it today it seems crazy, but. Yeah. It, nobody we had another name so much so that we created another name called warrior caliber and we were gonna use warrior caliber as the name mm. but um, we just went with our gut that is meant is even though nobody liked it we would always kept thinking about how you know back then it was like curly and quicksilver and you know it was all these one word names that were that were becoming popular and we thought I don't want to do uh, warrior caliber when mm-hmm. I think tap out is the easier name to say it's the easier name to remember it's the one word that you know just everything pointed in that direction mm-hmm. but the reason why people didn't like it is they thought that it meant lose you know it's like hey when you tap out you've lost the uh-huh. fight and we didn't think of it like that we thought of it as i make you tap out and you lose the fight uh-huh. that's that was our but that's not what they thought when they first mm-hmm. told it. now it's like you even people i know that said that Today, if you asked them, they would never admit it. They, go, I don't know what that was like, they would never admit it. It's funny when we talk to them sometimes. <laughs> but uh, we just kept, we just kept, we just decided we were going to buy some shirts. We just yeah. bought 12 shirts of each style and we started selling at these little small jujitsu tournaments. And I can remember setting up a three by three table. And, um, and putting up four shirts and a a beanie in the middle and a hat and just selling, you know, we'd sell them for 20 bucks a piece and just trying to make it and and leaving with no sales, you know, like two shirts. Uh, and and that
0: had to be frustrating because I mean, obviously what entrepreneurs are always looking for, particularly in today's startup (laughs) market, I mean, startups here, startups there and the ability to be able to pivot or change or, or, or completely, Hey, you know what? I'm letting it go. When you put a few bucks into something, you can say, hey, it's not working. It's not resonating. But we don't know if it's resonating unless we're getting feedback from our audience or our potential prospects. When you leave, you arrive with 20 shirts, you leave with 20. I mean, did, did the doubts start to trickle in? How do you overcome that, man?
1: Well, I think, no, we didn't ever leave with 20. We always left, you know, we might have- Couple at, of sales. Well, first time you sell two and then you sell five and it's those little wins. You just, mm. if you're focusing, I mean- you have to control your focus. If you are focusing, and everybody it's natural to focus, the glass is you know, half empty, it, we can't help it. We're human beings, that's how we think. But if you, if you make yourself focus and control your focus on what you did well, mm. you'll, you'll see it as a win. I mean, I could sit there and go, hey, we only sold two shirts, or I could sit there and say, We sold two shirts. That's, I mean, it's, it's for mindset. us. I can't believe that we were able to set up in here. We didn't pay anything to set up because mm-hmm. the guy let us set up for free because he was being cool. <laughs> and we sold two shirts. We made 40 bucks off, you know. Two people are actually walking around with our shirt on. Yeah. Next jiu jitsu tournament we might even see one of those guys wearing one of our shirts. That's awesome. That's what we focused on. And we just kept focusing on that. Yeah. And eventually two became four, became twelve, became fifty, became, you know, we were walking out of events with three, five, ten, twenty thousand dollars. Wow.
0: All right. I mean, that, you know, again, that's such a clear mindset tool in terms of anyone. I mean, you put something out there and if you, again, like you said, you sell it to one or two, you know, the first time we've gotten feedback on, on some of our programs, we do a lot of online training in the program. And the first time we've got feedback, it was like, what? Holy mouth, It was that recognition. Yeah. We could have sold millions the first day. It would have been wonderful. But the first time we sold one, and then got f- direct feedback from that, man. It was the same kind of thing. We celebrated big time. We didn't focus on what we didn't accomplish. We focused on what we did. And that allowed you to, for the next time to grow a little bit more and to grow a little bit more. What did it feel? Let's go back for a second. What did it feel like the first time you saw at a live event somebody wearing your shirt, man? I mean, it must have been like, hey,
1: that's freaking cool. You know what? We, we thought – we. One thing we really did well too is that we got past that stuff really quick because yeah. we started to get some television exposure and it was always, oh, that was cool, but we're on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. It was so forward focusing that it was it was nice to see that on video. In fact, lots of times I don't even watch my stuff. I I don't like to read like I haven't reread my part in that book yet. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I don't I did that. And now yeah. I'm moving forward. You know, right. I'm always moving forward. I, and, and, there's, and, and, and I think it's, I'm really self-critical too. So I don't like to read some, something like that sometimes because I really tend to criticize myself yeah. and how I could have done better. And I don't like to get into that mode too much. And I know I'm like that. So I, I, I tend to just keep moving forward. I know I did it. And I'm excited that I did it. When you bring up that book and hold it up, I'm like, yeah, that was a good move, man. Was, <laughs> I'm glad I got to be in that book that's really exciting that I got to be in that book next to all those great people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and, and that's exciting for me. But if I go back and I live in that moment too much, I'm, I'll, I, I, don't wanna, I, I'm t- I don't wanna rest, you know? I don't, I, I don't have no time to rest, I wanna just keep moving forward.
0: You know, that's another great point, listeners, because here's one of the things that happens is, you know, as soon as we start to celebrate, again, Tony Robbins talks about this, that, that truly successful people ponder, they don't necessarily celebrate. In that respect. So, when going back and reading it, there's a certain satisfaction from that that can ultimately cause stagnation. When we start to celebrate too many of these, yeah, we got to recognize those victories. We have to use them to empower the next victory. But you're right, Dan. And, and guys, it's the same thing. If, every time I competed as a bodybuilder back in my heyday, bam, I would always look at it as, as a critique. It didn't matter if I won or lost. It was like, okay, what did I do right? What could I have done better? How can we change it for the next time? Never went back and really celebrated Yeah, We went out for a meal, but that was it. But it was like, Dan, always what's the next thing? Always what's the next goal? Always what's the next objective? And as Rocky said, and you frequently say, keep moving forward, right? You got to just keep moving forward. So you and your partner started this, uh, this, this venture. And one of the things that you did that, and, and again, I, mo- I mentioned a moment ago, there was several things, certainly, but one of the strategic things that you did other than keeping the name going with your gut in that respect was making the name bold as hell. I mean, listen, Nike has a little swoosh, right? I mean, you've got these little, you know, Reebok has a little name here on the shirt. It's like, you guys were like, man, bold and big on these shirts. No one could miss them. You know, and not only that, but the fighters who were wearing them, they're wearing like the triple X and the freaking you muck. <laughs> Tell me about that strategic move. Was that, was it strategic or just, By chance.
1: No, it was very strategic. In fact, um, and and it all came from, we just didn't have a lot of money to market. And we knew that if we were going to get people in there wearing our stuff, that we wanted to make sure people saw them. And we always amazed me how people would pay people, you know, a ton of money yeah. and these sponsors would pay these guys a ton of money and they'd have a little tiny logo over here on the corner. Sure, and uh, in fact, I think we influenced style at that time because uh, at that time, everybody was doing a pocket hit, you know, a pocket logo. And we decided because, and strictly because of our marketing in the UFC, that we were going to do this huge logo on the front of the shirt. In fact, so much so that people would call us and tell us, hey, can we please not get a big logo? But it was the only way we were making the shirt. And yeah. they wanted, a, everybody wanted a pocket logo. You know, can you put the, you remember when those shirts that would all have logos on the pocket? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And at that time, that's how all shirts came but we started to do center punch logos because for us it was about we were big comic book fans even to this day I'm a huge comic book fan I'm a mm. huge collector and comic book fan and and so it was always about this like Batman logo on the ah. front of the and that's what you see. If you see tap out, that's what it represents. It, for us, it was our Batman logo.
2: <laughs> and,
1: uh, and then we started, and for our, lo- for our shirts that were going in the UFC, we want to do this big, huge logo so people couldn't miss it. Mm. That's, what, that's what was so great about when we did those logos. Every time you watch UFC, you could not miss our logo. It was, uh, it was, no, you, could. you, you couldn't. couldn't. In, fact, it right
0: in, in fact, it was also on a few asses. I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah. yep. Somebody tapping out his ass is sticking it. There it is. Tap out right there. Yep. Man. Couldn't miss it. So let's talk about the connection. Let's talk about hitching that wagon because obviously, um, the growth of tap out ran parallel in many respects with the growth of us UFC and many of those fighters, that you guys either sponsored or worked with or wore your logos along the way. So let's talk about that relationship just a little bit and how that played out along the way as far as you guys were one of the the first sponsors of some of those athletes and stuff. Let's just share kind of some insights in that respect.
1: Well, when we first started sponsoring fighters, we didn't have a lot of money. So it was all about, like a lot of it was about relationships. I can remember making phone calls to uh, one of the managers, Monty Cox, and our first two fighters we ever sponsored in the in the UFC were, were uh, Jeremy Horn and Pat Militich And I, um, I, I didn't know how we were going to pay him at the time. And we, we just said, look, we want to sponsor these two guys. And we sent him some shorts. And he goes, we'll figure out a payment plan so you guys can make the payments. And I remember it was 2500 bucks for both of them. Wow. And, uh, and that was on the high side. We ended up paying a lot less down the road. Mm. And that was our first one. We just didn't know any better. We didn't know where, you know, we didn't even know what number to that he came up. Sounds out.
0: reasonable. Yeah.
1: And and so we paid him 2500 bucks. And the, the thing is, is they were getting paid $2,500 to fight. So let alone, so they're, they're only making $2,500 to fight. And the fact that they could wear logos and get a little bit of extra money. Yeah. Um, I don't know how the money got split up, but I know it was $2,500 for both of them. Mm. And, uh, Pat Miletic ended up winning the belt that night from Mikey Burnett, I believe. And, uh, and Jeremy Horn actually lost to Vandalay Silva. But you know, we, we were just so excited to have our clothing inside the UFC and we didn't, you know, we, we learned some of our mistakes there. Oh, we needed bigger logos. Nobody saw that logo. You didn't see it very well. They didn't wear the shirt at the end of the fight, you know, all mm-hmm. these things that you needed to change um and so that's when we started you know you you live and learn and you make some changes but it was always about relationships with these fighters I mean we always told them like we were up very upfront with them we're a new company a lot of what people didn't know is that we were kind of this mouse in front of the flashlight for a long time because they would see us all over these UFCs Mm. and they thought we were you know making hundreds of millions of dollars or something when literally we were living in condos and barely paying our rent Charles was living on a on a air mattress inside, renting a room from this friend of his. Wow. And we were, but yet we were all over this UFC. I mean, we went in 2006 when we finally took, took on our first private equity money. So we'd been in business like eight years at that point, mm-hmm. seven years at that point, And we took on our first private equity money. Um, we were, I I was living in a condo at the time when I got that money. I mean, I was, I was barely paying my rent. I was, I think I was taking a $2,500 salary that I couldn't even pay myself all the time. And I went from that to overnight making a $30,000 a month salary and, you know, putting a million dollars in my bank that day. Mm. So it was life changing that day when, when that happened. And, and, but that's how it happens. You know, we wow. were, we were hustling that entire time, seven years, eight years of constant hustling, never letting off the gas. Wow. And it's always about, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I'm sure all those fighters feel like that, too, because we would talk to those fighters. They didn't have the money. They didn't have money. They were – I mean, we were sleeping in their rooms some of the time. Unfortunately, <laughs> the UFC was paying for that room. I mean, we would go to these UFCs and not we – we got the money to get us there, but we didn't have the money to get a hotel room. And, and so we would, we would get – we would sometimes sleep in the fighters' rooms because they would get these double beds, you know, because they just had to give them rooms. And and they would um, we they were fighting that night and we'd be sleeping in their beds next to them. <laughs> was, you know, you know, it, do.
0: it's fascinating because you know one of the things I was asked uh, just recently, how do you define an epic man? An epic man is someone who's living a sense of adventure, fighting the right fight, rescuing a beauty, and doing something for a higher sense of purpose. You were doing those things at that time. I mean, the adventure of it alone had to be incredibly exciting. Number one you're experiencing this growth in a business something you started. And like you said sleeping in, in a fighters rooms, being involved in this whole process, certainly part of the adventure was the characters that you guys built as well. You know, uh, your nickname of course, Punkass, your your partner had his own nickname and you guys became I mean especially your partner. He had this look. I mean, he was a big guy, the whole hat thing Tell me about how that real quick, and I know I, I, I'm keeping you so long. We'll probably break this into two parts because it's been so fascinating and so much to talk about. But tell me about, again, was it strategic or was it just you guys being who you are? And I know you were authentic the whole time. But in terms of those characters that were so apparent at all those events, I mean, you, guys, you couldn't miss, just like the logo, you couldn't miss you guys either. Tell me about those characters that you developed.
1: Well, the, uh, it all came from the, I can remember this one time we were at Mark Hall and it's funny cause I just, Mark Hall just hit me up, um, uh, yesterday. He, he was a guy who fought in the UFC a couple of times and, um, he, we were at an event that he was throwing at an Indian casino and remember it was totally illegal in California at the time to throw an event. And I'd even got arrested at one of them just because mm-hmm. I, we, we, they thought we were throwing the event cause we had so many tap out banners all over the place oh, yeah. and then I wasn't going to leave our stuff because we couldn't afford to. So when everybody scattered and started running, I stayed with our stuff. I'm like, I'm not leaving my stuff. I got $1,000 worth of product here. I can't afford to let this get confiscated by the police. So I was like, I'm blowing this up in my truck. I don't care what anybody says. Cops were telling me to stop and I just kept walking. I'm I'm (laughs) putting this in my truck. You know, this is going with me. You guys are not confiscating
0: this. Shit. Uh, on the upside, you knew none of them knew any Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so you might just get away with it.
1: <laughs> well, I, was thinking, I was thinking right now I could be arrested, but I have more time than money. There and, you go. Uh, so it's like, um, I, and I could not afford to let my stuff go. Wow. So um, we, I just remember we were going to this event, and we walked out of the event, and we, there was starting to be some other competition there. Some other people were selling some other clothing or some other mm. stuff or something. Mm. And uh, we had thrown, uh, we we um, the night before. Scrape, who, uh, if you're familiar with him, he has the big wig and yeah. So is that style. a wig or is that his hair, man? It's a wig. It's a wig, but it was you know it looked it's like an Afro his hair. wig, yeah. And because he wore it everywhere we went, and um and he's like six foot seven, mm. and he we they went to a um a, a club the night before, and he got all this attention. All these girls were all over him everybody at the club was talking to him he was kind of like you know Bootsy you know he was like this big guy with his hair and he was tall and and everybody was talking to him and it just Charles had realized how much attention he got to him and he started talking to you about you know talking this out with us we were all talking this out together and he was telling us about how he saw how much attention scrape was getting at this uh, club and and then the, he came up with this idea for characters you know like I was kind of a this type anyways because I had all these tattoos and I was starting well I didn't have as many tattoos as I have now but I started to have a few tattoos and he thought what if we were all just a little more of what we really are
0: turn up the volume
1: <laughs> exactly like you know I, I'm sure part of that in in the WWE comes out in these guys like I don't, I'm sure that they look within themselves and go like, who are you really? Mm. Can you amplify that and become a character? And that's what Charles was. Charles was, he considered himself an introvert, but he always wanted to be like Kiss. And he always wanted to be like, um, you know, he had these certain characters and people that he always saw himself like. Mm. And uh, I remember one of his his ideas and idols were always that uh, Kiss the band. And so he thought – and he was in the military. So he kind of blended KISS with being in the military. If you look at anything he's doing and you look at military and KISS and put that together, you'll see that in his character. Um, if you look at Scrape, he just became more of that, kind of yeah. this eccentric dude who was, you know, at, you know, kind of could be funny and, and wear whatever he wants and be a goof and kind of be that person and gain all this attention for that for that reason. And then I just became more motocross gangster kind of look, you know. With uh, I put on a bandana, and, and sh- I remember Charles saying, Man, that looks scary. And the people <laughs> never in a million because I was just quiet. I was a really quiet guy. And yeah. people always took that for that I was like, um, that they thought I was mean because I had tattoos and I was quiet, but I was the nicest guy. I was always, you know, a super nice guy, and I wasn't thinking like that on the inside. But he said, "When you put that bandana on, and you're, and with all your tattoos, and you're just walk around, you know, because I was, I had a lot more muscle on me too at the time, <laughs> and the hat yeah. down here too, <laughs> or the hat down here, because man, people will think they'll be scared to talk to you, mm. and and so that was kind of we just put that together, and he says people will never forget us if we walk in like this. Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. And I
1: remember the first few times we walked in, we were all so embarrassed, we had to like psych ourselves out." To get in, just to walk in the place,
0: like you were in costume almost. It's yeah, like, we're into like a regular event in, bed in,
1: in and Halloween yeah. and stickers and and just being kind of crazy. Wow. And uh, but it did; it got us noticed, and we became our own. We didn't have. I, I remember reading an article from um, FUBU from uh, Damon Johns, mm. and and it's kind of crazy because all the people I'd ever idolized, I'd actually ultimately became friends That's and awesome. Friends uh, Tony and 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 Damon Johns and I remember reading this article about FUBU and how they were their own models on their tags mm. and and I said Charles you know rather than paying models we should just all model our own stuff and so we went out and did and I, I kept telling them we need to do a catalog we need to do a catalog so we went and t- filmed ourselves and took pictures of ourselves and we one great thing we did is and we we're coming out with a documentary right now called the uh, Mask and it's it's a story of Charles. Mm. And, in, in his life story. And I produced that that film with a guy named Bobby Ryzak, who did a lot of MMA films. Awesome! And and we, we were smart enough to bring a videographer with us everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. So we, this, we have a lot of video footage of us early on in the early times in the early days of starting the company, which is really great. Oh, that's
0: brilliant, man. To have that old footage that you can now put together. It's just brilliant. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah this film, if you get a chance to see this film, uh, very... For any entrepreneur, anybody ever thinking about starting their own business, anybody wants to know more about Tap Out, you have have, have to see this film. It's incredible. It's an incredible journey. The footage from it's incredible. Um, really good stuff. But, um, you know, Charles was just – he was my mentor. He was 10 years older than I was, and I, would always, I was always looking up to him as my Literally mentor. Literally
0: and figuratively.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's 6 6'2", big dude, and uh, just a really good guy who – knew how to deal with people and and gave me a lot of insight on dealing with people and how mm. to deal with people and how to become a better person and and um and he and and, and he had a lot of he had a lot of hang ups too and he would he would he was open about him. He said, man he goes, I gotta tell you, Dan, you're a better guy than I am. Mm. You're you're I mean in a lot of ways he goes, man, you have a good family household. Your parents are good people. He goes, you were brought up better than I was. He goes, man. I because I'm I'm screwed up hmm. in a lot of ways, but um, you know, there's things I do right, and there's things I know I do right, and there's things I do wrong, and that's when I look to other people to how to get how to do those things right. So you know, those are things I I learned from him, and those yeah. things I took and, up from. Him. He was and, like my big brother.
0: And bro. and one of those things certainly, you know, and I'm sure it came from your relationship with him as well as your background and your upbringing and i want to talk about the loss of your partner loss of charles because he died you know not all that long ago and and, and in the middle of the growth of tapad and and of certainly you know you know finding that power to continue to go on and continue to grow um, you have to really dig deep i would assume and for those who are listening that uh, you know he, he what well, tell them the story about it because it is number one sad but it also is a is a Uh, a real testimonial to having and finding the courage to continue on even after great law. So share, share that story a little bit. And then we'll start to wrap things up because I know you got to get back to your family, brother.
1: Well, um, what happened was in 2009, uh, in early 2009, we were in Ohio for the uh, what's the, uh,
0: the not the Arnold Arnold. Yeah, Ohio would be the Arnold Classic. It right, was a bodybuilding right, event, right?
1: Yeah, so We were in, o- in Ohio for the Arnold Classic. We had a booth there. And we were coming back that same day. I know we were coming back, and that day we were doing a shoot with Dub Magazine for the cover of Dub Magazine. Mm. And so we flew back. We did that shoot, and it was like – it was uh, the second time we'd been on the cover of a magazine, we were pretty excited because mm. it was a magazine that wasn't an MMA magazine. So the other time was an MMA magazine. This is – uh, you know, outside of MMA, and yeah. that's pretty cool. We're going to be on the cover of this magazine, and we did an awesome photo shoot. Great time filming with Dub. They filmed this incredible footage. Um, we some great shots out of it. We're going to do this great spread in Dub. And um, I remember that day. It was kind of crazy because Charles did a lot of things he never did. That that I didn't. Mm. were out of character for him in the way that when I went home. He decided to come by my house and he never had done that ever. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he left, he was driving his Ferrari and we did this shoot with his Ferrari and I, I I did my shoot with the Lambo and my Mercedes and my, in my motorcycle and he drove by my house and we stood outside and, and talked about just how far we had come, you know, just reminisced about the good times, standing, Mm -hmm. leaning up against our cars Go, can you believe we did this? We just did the cover of Dumb Magazine. Man, we're, we came back from Ohio. We're doing this great things. We just, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had got some money and, you know, our lives were changing. We were mm-hmm. doing our TV show at the time. We had just um, finished our second season of our TV show. And, we we're you know, our TV show was doing awesome. And we're just like, man, can you believe we did everything we said we were going to do? Mm-hmm. We said this great half hour talk um 45 minute talk and and then he left and then he happened to go over to tr- uh, scrapes that night and talk to him too and right after he left scrapes he went to the gym and on the way back from the gym um a drunk driver uh hid him and t-boned him and su- uh, spun him out and sent him into a pole and killed him instantly and I remember the next day I was at the gym. This was late at night, like one in the morning, two in the morning, or something. And I was I woke up next morning, went to the gym early on. I was at the gym with my girlfriend, and I can remember getting a um, uh, a call from somebody or a text from somebody who said, "Hey, uh, do either of you guys drive a red Ferrari?" and i said uh i don't um that's charles charles drives a red far. and he goes man i think he was in a bad accident over in honey in uh in irvine and i said oh man no like how do you know like where you know where are you getting this information mm. from and he goes i heard it from uh this guy rob who's a fighter and uh he's fought in the ufc before and he said so so i said can you have rob call me and so rob texts me and he started telling me, he goes, Dan, I really think I saw this car, Charles's car drove right by it, and he was in a bad, bad accident. I don't think he made it. And um, and I said, dude, I just walked straight out of the gym. Woo. I get, I, I don't even think I'm going to get crazy like this.
0: I'm sorry, man.
1: Um, but um, I walked straight out of the gym. I got in my car, and I drove sh- as fast as I could. I don't remember the drive. And I was trying to call Scrape at the time. And for some reason, he had drove up to San Luis Obispo that same night. Mm. And so I get up to, uh, I'm I finally get a hold of Scrape, and he had heard the same thing. And he was driving. And I think Lorenzo Fertitta hit me up too. Maybe Dana too, but the owners of the UFC mm-hmm. asking me for a clarification on what was going on. And, and I was driving, and I, I talked to Scrape, and Scrape was driving. He says, dude, I'm doing 150 miles an hour down down the 101 right now. And I said, dude, you need to slow down. You got, you're got you going to kill yourself or somebody else. You need to slow down right now. And and he's like, I, I, he goes, I've already been pulled over twice. And I have two tickets already. He goes, I said, dude, slow down. There's nothing you can do by driving faster. Mm-hmm. And I got to the office, I'm trying to find out what's going on. I remember finally getting a hold of um, somebody and they told me that, um, somebody at the, uh, at the sheriff's office, and he goes, I can't really talk to you about it. You know, you're not family. He goes, I, I'm telling you. And I said, I said, look, brother, like, this is my best friend for the last 20 years. You got to tell me what's going on.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: I won't, like, <clears throat> I, I can't, I can't do any, I can't function right now. And you got to tell me what's going on. And uh, he told me, he goes, uh, yeah, I believe it was your partner, Charles Lewis. And he was killed early morning in an accident when his Ferrari um, was hit by another car and uh, he hit a pole and it looks like he died instantly. And uh, he goes, he did say, he goes, you know what though? He goes, I do want you to know that I looked at his face and he looked like he was sleeping. He looked like he was very calm and he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't have this massive trauma or at all or anything. Um. Yeah. He and I and I said thank. I thanked him for telling me that, and I hung up. And I had to start dealing with it. You know, I had to start dealing with what we were going to talk about. You know, I had press calling me, and TMZ was calling, and everybody, and they're trying to find out what was going on, friends and family and stuff. So uh, it was just a nightmare for the next. Oh, I can imagine uh, upcoming months. And and I kind of, part of me kind of, I, we were still operating, but I I was losing the interest in, in doing this anymore. Because I built this company with my partner.
2: Mm-hmm. I didn't,
1: it wasn't the same without him. It was like, you know, it just wasn't the same thing. We started this together, we built this together. It wasn't, I know everybody had come, you know, everybody had said stuff like, you know, I'd have people come to me and say, but is it's a tribute to him to keep it going. I said, yeah, but it doesn't mean I have to be there. True. You know, it doesn't mean I, I don't, I, it's not the same unless I'm talking to my brother every day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, or my best friend. So I, so, you know, it was, uh, about a year later, we decided to sell the company we sold the company and, uh, and, you know, but I still continued on as president and I still, you know, I, I love working for the company, but I don't, those, I just, part of me didn't want to be in the day to day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make some key decisions, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to be responsible for everything that happened in that company because I didn't,
0: I didn't, I just wasn't with my, my best friend. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, you know, finding that passion, that partnership, my wife and I have that partnership. I have that partnership with Travis Greenley, who's, uh, who's our partner on Epic men and, uh, and it does, it helps drive the passion, the interest, the fun, the love for it and once that's gone then you may still have something viable but it is hard to continue in that same capacity and man I give you I give you all the kudos and world for just continuing on for that next year and not just letting the company crumble obviously
1: Oh yeah I wouldn't yeah. want that to happen either yeah. you know, I wanted I wanted to do good by him and and his he had kids too so all on all of them
0: It's uh Man. Well, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you sharing that story. I know it's a touching one. I know that one is probably still difficult to share. But I think it's something that uh, that a lot of us can relate to in terms of what loss we've experienced.
2: Okay. Yeah, and,
0: and sometimes those setbacks, you know, and you just have to find the, the the ability, the strength to pull yourself up by those bootstraps and continue on. And you've done that. And then that's it, when it,
1: you see what you're made of. Doesn't doesn't Rocky does. have a like that too? It's not how hard you get knocked down or
0: absolutely. Yeah, it's how hard, it's not too. how hard you can hit, right? Yeah, how yeah. You can get hit and keep moving forward. How much yeah. you can take right. certainly be, be, become one of the the favorite quotes out there by uh, so many people. So I, I've kept you so long. Okay. You've got your family right there. So what are the final words? And then we'll tell people where they can reach you and how they can. Well, ultimately, let me just ask you this though. When do you think the video, that documentary might be released? Because man, I would love to see that ASAP.
1: Yeah, it's going to, it'll be out next year, early next year. Uh, we just did a premiere for it in San Francisco uh, earlier or late last month and um and we've been just refining it over the past year it's been Mm. ready for like a year but we've been doing little tweaks and we went back and filmed some some other footage of uh we hired a um, kind of a double so we could recreate scenes um it just it it came out so Uh, good i mean i've done other documentaries i've been involved in other films and it just this is my proudest work it just came out so good
0: what's the name we didn't get i didn't get the name Mask. It's called Mask. Mask. I think you didn't mention that earlier. Okay, yeah. so we'll keep an eye open for that. Yeah,
1: for that. And uh, it's just, um, i really it's really inspiring for people. Anybody who's on this podcast obviously get it because that's what you're doing. You're inspiring people. And and I hope they're inspired by this film. It, it, um, it really says a lot about, it shows where, are where we started and what he was dealing with. And there's some things even in that film that I didn't know about. We happened to get some recordings after he passed, mm. um, some recordings that he was making of himself, that he was talking to a recorder and telling some of his deepest, darkest stuff. And wow. we use that as voiceover in the film. And it's incredible. It's so – um, powerful. It's just it really, really, you'll see when you see the film, you'll see what I'm talking about.
0: That's extraordinary. And the last thing I'd ask would be where did you uh, the, finding the, the the foresight to have a videographer or someone filming what was happening? Because obviously, you guys were wrapped up in the growth of the business and, and, and the adventure, you know, at all these events, selling t-shirts and, and the entire thing. To have the foresight to have someone there, to the videotape that says you now have this material. I mean, that's just... Yeah pretty sure well,
1: I, I think that just came from we knew early on that video was going to be a big part of it. i was talking to charles about making videos that we wanted to the idea was and we did this for years um we made a we made two videos that if you ordered 99 dollars of stuff we would sit give you this free video and mm-hmm. on the video were like a bunch of skits and different we had, we had uh um we'd contact a lot of promoters like a lot remember a lot of these fights were underground at that time so we were mm-hmm. kind of, promoters and we would ask them for one fight from their show and we put like five different fights on this tape so from all different events so there'd be like a king of the cage fight a super brawl fight a uh neutral grounds fight and they would all be on this one tape mm. but in between it would be all these little skits and all these this stuff that we do is craziness if you ever get a <laughs> chance to see one of these videos they're, they're insane i love it and uh, and we were just we were just having fun building our characters. We were trying to create this kind of mystique. Uh, we, we saw a lot of value in the, what was going on with the WWE at the mm-hmm. time. Not that because we saw that we could bring that to what to a sport that was real, you know. So you had real fighting. Mm. You had kind of the entertainment of this. We knew the fighters couldn't really do what we were doing, but we were in and around the sport, and we were creating these characters that had. Um, Superpowers and the power <laughs> to do all these crazy things, and 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 we were creating like these small movies, these short films. Uh, with our characters that all you know it's just it's really hard to explain until you see one of the videos but no
0: that's awesome and at the time there wasn't that much going on so people would love that hey I'm going to order some stuff oh it was some of these videos sure. lots, some didn't of these have that. It wasn't that but, much going on
1: yeah they nobody there was that stuff out there so yeah. when they got it and they were excited I mean when they they it pushed $99 sales you know push people to buy a few more things on our mm-hmm. website they would get this uh, 120 minute video and uh, get a bunch of fights and a bunch of other content and it really was just a pro- promo video for who we were and what we were doing and what we were all about and the tap out brand so when they got it they were just market. we were they were being marketed
0: yeah. anyway so we- because it, it, it's killing two birds with one stone you're adding value to a purchase and you're also like you said, marketing at the same time, which is brilliant. And again, another thing we can take away as entrepreneurs: how can you guys do that in your own business as well? So just keep working hard. I'm telling you, keep learning. Knowledge is the key, man. The
1: fact that we have these podcasts when I'm when I'm at the gym, I'm not listening to music. I'm listening to a podcast or I'm listening to a book. I mean, if I can learn one thing from a book, I, I know that that you know that six hours of, of listening was worth it. Mm. And and I always always learn more than one thing so uh, uh, knowledge is the key and remember every one of us have it in us to be great
0: you can find dan at dan dan coldwell speaks on facebook as well i'm tom twilliger with epic man rattling the cages you can find us at epicmen.com dad dan thank you so much brother keep up the great work i look forward to seeing the movie and also more from you in the future you guys take it easy now okay Thanks for having us on.
2: It's a pleasure, brother. That's how winning is done. Thanks for listening to Epic Men Radio. Now get off your ass and give us a review on iTunes. And make sure you
0: subscribe to and share Epic Men Radio with other men in your tribe so no one will ever miss a single empowering episode.
1: You can also find us at EpicMen.com.